Well, I would invite you to return in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24, a wonderful passage that Jeff read for us that declares this great and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we have just sung about, the power that is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have the privilege of looking at this morning. You know, on Friday, after I had taken Milan to the airport, I stopped at a coffee shop to uh, kind of finish up some notes for this sermon on the way back to DeKalb here. And as I stopped at the coffee shop, I sat down and, and got my cup of tea and, and opened up my laptop and, and started looking over these notes. And uh, it was a small little coffee shop. And uh, kind of dominating the middle of the room was about... T- 15 to 20 women that apparently, from what I picked up on, I wasn't eavesdropping, they just spoke really loud, that they, uh, they had met there every Friday, and it seems like for decades. I picked up that they all went to high school together in the 1950s, and they had been meeting together regularly since then, and they, they were reviewing different things because it was Good Friday, so they were just talking about all the meetings they had and all the Good Fridays they had together, and and on and on, and they were just kind of reflecting, and they were laughing and having a good time. And one of them made this comment. She was bemoaning the fact. Now, seriously, I wasn't eavesdropping, by the way, because it sounds like I was. And, and, but, I mean, she's just sitting inches from me, and they're, they were loud. And, and, uh, and she was bemoaning the fact that uh, her sons don't take Easter, the Easter holiday more seriously. She was upset about that. And, uh, and she wanted her sons to take this way more seriously than they had, than they normally had. And, uh, and she was talking about Christmas and all the things they do there, but she wanted her sons to really take this holiday more seriously. I think she wanted to see her grandchildren more, probably, but, but as she was going on and on, she was talking about the Easter holiday and Easter traditions and all the things that could happen if they took this holiday more seriously. And as I'm, I'm looking over these notes for the sermon... I started kind of running away with that thought, and, uh, and, 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 and I just started allowing that kind of statement she made kind of to float around in my head, and, and I was thinking about it, and, and I came to this conclusion. If I were to interrupt and insert myself there, which would have been inappropriate to do, because I wasn't eavesdropping, they were talking really loud. I just <laughs> want to make sure you know that, okay? And they were really close to me, and... Uh, and I was writing a sermon, and you know, these are like sermon illustration moments. You know, when you're, you go to a coffee shop merely to introduce your sermon, that's why you go there. So <laughs> I, was, I, was, uh, I was thinking, if I were to like, insert myself in that conversation, I, I would say to her, you know, I, you, you need to see your grandchildren more. That is clear. Probably you need, they, they're not showing up enough. And, uh, and if you want, I'll rebuke your sons and tell them, come home more. But that being said, your sons don't need to take the Easter holiday more seriously. In fact, I don't think that's going to cure anything in the world. I don't think it's going to fix anything if we just take Easter more seriously as a holiday. I think the issue is we've got to take Jesus more seriously, right? I mean, that's a pretty obvious point. We, we, we need to really embrace Jesus and the real Jesus and what he really did and what the cross was really about. You know, the cross wasn't about starting a holiday. I mean, that's not really what this was about. I don't think as Jesus was hanging there, he was thinking, this is going to create some wonderful family times. 
you know. Easter baskets and eggs and, you know, this will be great. I mean, I don't think that that was necessarily maybe the first thought on his mind. And I think that the reality was that, that the issue is that we would understand the cross. And I was thinking, I'm not certain that we as human beings, as Christians, fully comprehend the cross. I was thinking about it because here in this, in this first story, there are people, some in this story who have spent three years with Jesus, others in this story that have been following him for some time, Lots of people who had heard him teach directly about the cross. Heard him teach everything. Heard him lay out the plan. Heard him teach the Old Testament. Heard him absolutely sit down around a fire and say, the Son of Man must die, and on the third day he will rise. Heard him say it over and over and over, and yet they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They missed it. And because they didn't understand the cross, there are some issues that emerged with their hearts. And that's, as you can see, is your outline. There's issues that emerge. Because they didn't understand the cross, some had what I would call a forgetful heart. They forgot what Jesus said. They forgot the teaching. They heard it, went in one ear, out the other. Because if you don't understand the cross... You don't understand what Jesus did. You don't understand his death, his burial, his resurrection. You're never really going to remember what he says. Because everything that he says is grounded in this, this act. This is the linchpin. And if you miss it, you miss everything. So you'll just forget what he says. Some were disillusioned because they didn't understand the cross. They had expectations of Jesus that Jesus didn't meet. And so they became disillusioned with Jesus. Some were slow. Some understood all these truths. They, 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 they had pieces of the truth and they could articulate them, but they were slow to put it all together. They couldn't put it all together. Because the issue is they didn't understand what the cross was really about, what the cross was really accomplishing. And if you don't understand what the cross is about, you'll never get the burning heart that we see at the end of the story, as Jeff read it for us this morning. That heart that says, oh man, I get it. I'm alive with Jesus. It makes sense to me. So what I want us to do is we're going to go through this. We're going to look at the forgetful heart. We're going to, we're going to look at the disillusioned heart. We'll look at the slow heart. We'll kind of look at, at, at the things that they missed. And then we'll look at Jesus and we'll see how he presents to them what the point of the cross is. And then we'll see some disciples get it and how it changes their lives. And I want us to see that today because... Because it's easy for us to lose sight of the cross. What does it mean? Why do we as Christians hang this instrument of death in buildings and put them on placards? And, and why do we celebrate the cross? And why do we sing songs about someone who died? It doesn't make sense all the time to some people. Well, if you don't understand why we celebrate that and what that means, the rest of the stuff, you either forget it, you'll become disillusioned with Jesus, or you'll be slow. You might understand theology, but you won't be able to put it all together. So we're going to look at this this morning. Let's begin by looking at the forgetful hearts. Look at verse 1 with me in verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, when, when they, went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, Remember what, what you have here. 
is uh, Jesus died. We looked at that on Friday here just a couple days ago. And the women, there were women whose job it was to prepare the bodies for death. They got the spices ready, but the Sabbath had begun, so they couldn't get the body uh, prepared. And so they knew where the body was. They saw him laid in a tomb. They went back home, celebrated the Sabbath, came back. The stone rolls away. He is not there. They didn't know what to do. They just stood there. Okay? They missed it. Now, by the fact that they prepared the spices, it shows us that they didn't understand the cross. Right? They shouldn't have prepared the spices. If they had understood, if they had remembered all that Jesus said, they would have never gone home and started preparing burial spices. By preparing burial spices, what they were saying was, he's going to be in the grave. This is it. It's over. His life is done. This guy in his early 30s is done. We're going to bury him, and we're just going to go on and, 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 and pick up with our lives. They missed something. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. So, look at verse 4 with us, with me. When they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now, just I'm going to pause there for a second. Just mark that little he has risen in your brain. I'm going to come back at the very end of this sermon, and we'll, I'm going to tell you why I'm asking you to remember that statement. Okay? Just remember the statement. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. Okay, so they're there. They don't know what to do. They're perplexed. Where's the body? What happened? What's going on? Two angels show up. They drop to their faces. Right? Remember, angels are scary, right? They're not little things you put on your shelves, right? <laughs> if you really saw an angel, put a real angel on your shelf, your kids would be like, Dad, don't bring me in the room, Mom! You know, <laughs> terrify your kids. Right? It's, the power is there. They're there, and boom, they drop to the ground. And then these guys basically say this, why are you looking for somebody alive in a grave? What are you doing here? This is a, a, a subtle rebuke. Why are you here? Don't you remember way back in Galilee? Right? We're not just talking about a couple days ago. We're talking about a long time ago. Remember, before he made the trek from Galilee to Jerusalem, remember he said that he was going to be delivered up by the religious leaders. They were going to kill him, and on the third day he was going to rise from the dead. What in the world are you doing here? When he died, you should have went home and said, we can't wait to see him on Sunday. Right? We're going to prepare a meal for him. He's going to show up. They forgot. Now, they did remember, but what did they forget? What did they miss? Why did they forget those words of Jesus? They forgot those words of Jesus because they didn't know what the cross meant. That's the key. If you don't know what the cross really means, then the teaching of Jesus just kind of goes in one ear, out the other. If you don't really comprehend the cross, you never really comprehend what Jesus says. If you don't really comprehend the cross, then you, then you could be one of those people that you might as well just leave your Bible on your seat and pick it up next week because it, it means nothing to you. Truth really won't stick unless you understand what the cross means. 
They forgot. But the angel said it, and they went, oh, yeah. He did say that, didn't he? Right? Now, look at verse 9. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the rest. Right? So you got the 11 are there, plus the little crowd that had been following around. They're all hanging out. So they, come, they tell them this. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Right? He's referencing this to let you know these are real witnesses, legitimate witnesses that happened. But these words seemed to them like idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So they're telling him, hey, these angels showed up, and they're like, yeah, right. Why? If you don't understand the cross, you're not going to understand the teaching. They don't remember that Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead. What are they doing there? They should have been anticipating Jesus walking in the door. Instead, they're down. They're depressed. They've missed it. They come in. They get a report that he has risen, and they don't get it. Peter runs, and he goes in there, and he looks in there, and, and, and he's marveling. You see, that is a forgetful heart. Forgetful heart can hear the words, can be exposed to the truth. Can, can, you can sit at the feet of Jesus, but unless you understand what the cross is about, this teaching doesn't make sense. You get a forgetful heart. But there's another heart that can show up. There's another heart that comes in, a disillusioned heart. Not only can some have a forgetful heart, right? They hear the truth and just move on as if it doesn't mean anything to their life. They can just hear teaching and then go home and live as if they never heard that teaching. There's also another thing that can happen. A disillusioned heart. A disillusioned heart. Look at verse 13 with me. <clears throat> that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleobus, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? That should kind of make you chuckle. Right? I mean, it's kind of like, he's the only one who knows what happened, right? They don't even know what happened. Right? Anyways, it always, I just chuckle. It's a lot of funny, funny little statements in this thing, right? Are you the only one? You know, Jesus would be thinking, no, I'm the only one who knows. Okay. Uh, and he said to them, what things? Which to me is like ultimate self-control to not laugh at that moment. Okay. What things? And he said to them, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Okay, so you see what's happening. He's going along, sees these two disciples. They're not part of the 12. They're part of the group. There's a group that followed Jesus. They're part of that group. They're heading back home. They are sad. They are disillusioned. They're, they're, their heart is, is down. Why? They really put all their eggs in the Jesus basket. They thought... Israel was going to be redeemed as how they defined redemption. See, because you don't, if you don't understand the cross, 
then you, you'll start redefining Jesus in your own terms. And that's what happens. If you don't get what the cross is about, then you'll create a different reason for Jesus' existence. And Jesus will not match that reason for existence, and you'll be disillusioned. And that's what's happening here. What's happening here is that they've missed this. We're hoping. We thought he'd be the one. He was so strong. He did all these miracles, all these things. We thought redemption would come. And now they're a little bit closer than, uh, than, than Mary and the apostles, right? Because at least they're saying it's the third day and like no, no big bang happened. We thought something was going to happen on day three, but it didn't. So, so they're, 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 dis, they're, they're disillusioned. You know, it's, it's interesting. They talk about the fact that uh, there's a statistic out. I, I don't know if this is how accurate the statistic is, but they'll, they'll, they say usually 78 to 80% of kids when they leave like a youth ministry program and go off to college, like walk away from church altogether. And I was thinking about that statistic and I was thinking about the fact that that, that does happen frequently. And I wonder sometimes if it's disillusionment. I wonder sometimes if, if we, we paint a picture of Jesus that isn't based in what Jesus is really doing and who he really is. And you see, when the cross doesn't define him and your theology and what you do and who you are and what he's doing in the world and your purpose in life and, and, and the purpose of creation and where all of everything is headed, when the cross doesn't define it, then some people will have a tendency to create their own reason for Jesus. And then when that own reason for Jesus doesn't come true, you say, man, I thought Jesus was going to do this for me, and he didn't. And now I'm sad. And I thought there'd be this big moment, this big thing would happen, and it didn't happen. And now I'm let down. You see, they, they had an understanding of Jesus being the king they had an understanding of him being the Messiah. They had an understanding of him being Redeemer. And they had an understanding that something big was going to happen on the third day. Right? Those are some important things they had. But what did they miss? The cross. The cross. The cross is the piece that made all that theology make sense. But because the cross was removed from their theology and they had all these other teachings about Jesus, they created this expectation of Jesus that he didn't meet. And he's sad. See, that's a disillusioned heart. If you don't understand the cross, you'll have a tendency to create a Jesus that doesn't exist. It might be based on Bible truths. But if you don't understand the cross, you'll create a Jesus that doesn't exist and that Jesus, that you created, will let you down. Because that's not what Jesus is doing. He's, he, he's doing stuff, but you've got to understand the cross. That's the key. But in addition to a forgetful heart and a disillusioned heart, there's one more heart that shows up with these disciples. They have another layer to their heart, and we'll call it a slow heart. A slow heart. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now why do we call this a slow heart? We call this a slow heart 
because it's a little different than a forgetful heart and a disillusioned heart. A forgetful heart is just somebody who can hear the truth and then just move on. Like it, just, it has no impact in their life. And a, a disillusioned heart creates a Jesus uh, uh, you know, after your own image, and, and it lets you down. But a slow heart is you've got all the facts in front of you, and you can talk all the theology, but you can't put it all together, so it doesn't really anchor your life. You can talk about it, but it's not in you. It doesn't hold you down. It doesn't give you the perspective. So now they understand it's the third day. They understand that something was supposed to happen. They understand that, that the women went to the tomb and that angels had declared that he was risen. And they understand that Peter went and looked in there and that, and that he was gone. But yet, it didn't mean anything to them. They weren't excited. You get the perspective, right? Luke's trying to paint the picture. They're sad. They're walking along. Yeah, you know, he's the redeemer. And, and he's, you know, he's going to do all this great stuff for us. And it's the third day. And we thought something big was going to happen. And then they went to the tomb. And, and there were angels there. And they were freaking out. And then Peter went in. And Jesus is gone. Like, duh! <laughs> That's pretty big, right? Right? <laughs> Like, angels show up and Jesus is gone? That's huge. Can't see it. Can't put it all together. Because they don't understand the cross. They don't understand the cross. The slow of heart is slow to believe what is right in front of your eyes. It's right there. And you can't see it. You can't see it. It's a very powerful moment. Look at verse 25. Jesus responds to this. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You've heard me say I, I want like a video library in heaven to see some of these moments. That would be a cool one, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you want to hear Jesus teach from Genesis to Malachi? Wouldn't that be cool? Right? I mean, he goes through it all. But notice what he says to him. First, he calls him foolish and slow of heart. That's a pretty aggressive statement. A fool is somebody who lives as if God doesn't exist. And he says, you're living your life as if God doesn't exist. And you're slow. You cannot believe what the scriptures have taught you. Now, I'm going to put it in contemporary vernacular, what I think Jesus is saying. This is really what I honestly think. If I were to do the contemporary translation, I would say Jesus is saying, guys, how in the world could you not have seen this in 66 or, or 39 books of the Old Testament? Isn't it pretty obvious that you need a cross? Isn't it pretty obvious that you are a sinner and that you need someone to die in your place? Isn't it obvious that, that if the Messiah is going to redeem, that it's going to have to happen through death? Isn't it pretty obvious that God says, if you sin, you die, there's your consequence? What do you think all the animals that were killed in the temple meant? Isn't it that obvious to you? Couldn't you see it? You're slow of heart to make the connection because to you, the Old Testament possibly could be a book of laws and rules to win favor with God 
instead of being the picture of the fact that if you don't have somebody dying in your place, you'll never have favor with God. Your emphasis of the Old Testament is wrong. You're not trying to find moral lessons in the Old Testament. Right? The goal isn't to be like David. The goal is to say, wow, without Jesus, I'm like David. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm a horrible person. Unless somebody comes and helps me, I'll be like David. And that's not a good thing. Unless someone comes and helps me, I'm going to be like Abraham, man. And I'm going to lose faith. And I'm going to lie and do things and manipulate. Right? Unless someone comes, I'm like Moses. I'm just going to get frustrated and strike the rock when people get me mad. Unless I get some help, I'm like these guys. Instead of saying, be like them, we are them. Unless someone comes and helps us. Can't you see that this is what he's saying? Guys, I want to put this together for you. I need you to understand that the cross is essential because the entirety of the Old Testament tells you that unless someone dies in your place and gives you new life, you're stuck. Because no law, no set of rules could keep even Israel in check. In the book of Judges, the longest they lasted was 80 years. That's it. How does the book end? Joshua died and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Unless someone helps us. This is what he's showing you. You you go into the Old Testament trying to find moral lessons, trying to make it the handbook of life. It is not the handbook of life. It is the book that points you to the one who gives you life. That's the key. You're reading your Bible wrong. The Old Testament is not a rule book. It's a revelation of your need for Jesus. If you don't get that, you're missing it all. This is what he's saying to them. I think that's the whole point of this teaching. The whole point is he's saying, guys, if you don't get this one simple point, unless I die in your place, and unless I rise from the dead, raise from the dead in your place, you have no hope. You see, you should have expected this if you would have seen your Bible right. Now, we have a forgetful heart, a disillusioned heart, and a slow heart. But now let's see how it turns to a burning heart. To a burning heart. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Okay, so they're getting to the village. It's nighttime. No one traveled at night. Very dangerous. He's acting like he's going. They're, come on, stay, stay. It's kind of Jesus' way of kind of engaging them, I think, and they come in. Now, when you have a visitor in your home, what are you required to do? Feed them a meal. So they bring out a meal. But then Jesus does something unique for a visitor to do. He grabs the bread. He thanks the Lord for the provision. And then he breaks it. And the moment he breaks it, their eyes open. Boom, they know it's Jesus. Why do you think 
Jesus use the breaking of the bread to reveal himself? I think you could figure that out, right? You can see it. This is my body broken for you. You see, the point of the cross is that unless you see that you have no hope, you have no life, you cannot save your no law, no religion, no ceremony, no act of bravery, nothing can save you because there's only one consequence for sin, death. So unless someone dies in your place, there is no life. Jesus came to say, I'm breaking my body for you. And until you catch that one simple reality, you'll miss everything. You'll either forget it, you'll be disillusioned by Jesus, or you'll be slow to put all the pieces together. You'll miss it. You'll miss it all. He reveals this to them. And then once they see it, boom, he disappears. Redemption for you. You're thinking I'm gonna, that, that I was going to do this thing for Israel in some political sense. You've missed it. I was dying for you. Boom. Disappears. Now notice what happens. Verse 32. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Right? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Huge moment. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now remember I said, remember that little statement, he has risen? The reason why I wanted you to remember that is I want you to notice what happened when they went into the room. What did they say? He has risen indeed. On Easter, we do that greeting, don't we? He is risen. He is risen indeed, right? Comes from this passage. And the reason why it comes from this passage is the angels made the declaration, He is risen. And so, the, so you know, sometimes in our formal ceremony, the, the person up on the stage goes, He is risen. And then the testimony of the believer who says, I saw it, I believe it, it has re- reached my heart, says, He is risen indeed. And that's where it comes from. They run into the room. And they say, we saw him. And that statement, he has risen indeed, means yes, I believe. I get it now. I see it. He has risen indeed. And so they begin to explain it all. And then notice 35, how he explained it to them in the breaking of the bread, which the apostles must have been like, whoa. Because they would have just remembered just a couple days earlier, right? Thursday night. Just a few days earlier, he says, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat it, remember me. He breaks the bread. Remember me. Remember me. See, the cross is what gives the meaning to all of it. Now, here's a question I have for you. Why did Jesus choose to reveal himself this way on that first Easter? Right? I mean, why wouldn't Jesus have done something like huge? Why wouldn't he have like gone up to the hill where they crucified him, and stood there and did like a, you know, uh, a C.S. Lewis uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, you know, roar! Right, if you know that illustration, right? <laughs> Why wouldn't he have like, 
gone up to the hill and just yelled as loud as he could. And everyone went, whoa, what happened? Why? Why do this whole little play the games with the people on the road and, you know, kind of just kind of be in and out, leave the 11 just hanging there like they were? Why do this to them? I'll tell you the reason why. I think Jesus wants them to know more than just that he rose from the dead. He wants them to understand the cross. He wants them to understand the redemption, the need for it. He wants them to understand the scriptures. He wants them to understand all of the truth that's embedded into this. Had he stood on the hill where he was crucified and yelled and made everybody know that he had risen from the dead, people would have celebrated that as a miracle, but probably missed the meaning. They probably wouldn't looked at it and said, you just died in my place. And they would have just said, wow, you're incredible. And it's important to Jesus that everybody anchors their life in him. And what the cross means. Because if you don't get the meaning of the cross, you're going to forget. And if you don't get the meaning of the cross, you're going to be disillusioned. And if you don't get the meaning of the cross, you're going to be slow to piece it all together. You might have all the facts in your head, but they'll mean nothing to you. If you don't get the cross, you don't get life. So today, people come in here. Some of you say, yeah, I'm probably more forgetful. I, I think I come in, I hear the teaching, and then I leave as if I didn't hear anything. No, I, I go back, I just live my life. And I come back in here again, I hear it again, and then I leave. It doesn't mean anything to me. Some of you might say, yeah, that's me. Some of you might be sitting here saying, you know, I tried that Jesus thing. I tried that church thing. I'm only here today because someone dragged me here. Right? That's it. I, you know, Jesus is not all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe you're disillusioned. Some of you could be sitting here. And you got a lot of truth in your head. You study a lot of theology. But you feel like you're just missing something. You feel like something's just not right. The issue is very simple. You've got to understand what the cross was about. And I'm going to very quickly just list off 10 quick things for you of what the cross is about. 10 things that you can just see throughout all from Genesis to Revelation of what the cross is about. And I want to give you these 10 things because I want you to know in the simplest, plainest terms as I can communicate it, this is everything. And your entire life has to be brought back to this point for it to make sense, for you to suddenly start saying, yeah, now the, I want to know more of the word, or, or wow, I'm going to push away all those disillusioned thoughts and areas where I feel disenfranchised, or where it doesn't all make sense to me and life doesn't seem to click. Here are these ten things. Jesus came and he died on a cross. First, one, one key reason, to stand in your place. To stand in your place. You read the Old Testament, there's one thing that you will see. No one is righteous, not even one. No one does good. No one seeks for God. Everyone is turned aside. There's poison in their hearts. No one can do it. Even the greatest king in Israel, David, was a sinner, an adulterer, and a murderer. No one is righteous. You needed someone to stand in your place to do number two, to take your sin upon his shoulders, to allow the guilt of your sin 
to be placed upon his shoulders. The, the thoughts, the deeds, the actions, the secret things in your life, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you've hidden from the rest of the world. But you know that if you stood before God, you'd be exposed. Jesus takes that upon his shoulders. To do the third thing, to pay the price to buy you out of hell. Because everyone, everyone was on their way to hell. And Christ paid the price to say, I'm going to pull you out. So that fourthly, he could appease the wrath of God. Because God hates sin and the only thing that he can do is judge it and condemn it to death, to punish it. But there's even more than that that goes on at the cross. Jesus died and he rose from the dead to give you life. When The life that raised him from the dead is the very life he gives to us. We get something way better than what anyone in the Old Testament had. We get to walk in the power of a resurrected life. We get something so much better. So much better. You're in a better place than David. You're in a better place than Moses. You're in a better place than Abraham because Christ rose from the dead and you can say, give me life. And I don't have to earn the favor of God. Christ earned it for me. I get his life. That's why the cross is important. Sixth reason, you now get access to the Father. You don't need a priest. You don't need a sacrament. You don't need to do some ritual cleansing of your hands and your feet. You don't have to take baths to stand in the presence of God. You don't have to go through this whole little ceremony so that you could then pray. You can just, whatever you're doing, say, God, I need help now. And it goes right to God. Why? Because Christ died for you. You get complete access to the Father. Seventh, not only that, you get connected to your very purpose for living in this world. God created you with a purpose in mind before there was dirt, before there was anything, before there was any problem in your life, before there was anybody to mess up your life. God said, this is the reason why I'm making you. And through Jesus, you could say, God, help me find my purpose. Why did you make these hands and this brain this way and my body this way and my abilities this way, God? You made them for a reason, and I want to now walk in that purpose. You also get power to live in this world. I no longer need to trust in my own strength. You face a crisis, give me power. When I feel weak, I can trust in his strength. Ninth reason, to give you the hope of an eternity with him when you die. I love the confidence that whether I live today or die today, I'm secure with God. I remember speaking to somebody of another religion, and I said, what hope do you have to go to heaven? And his response is, well, if I do good works and God's in a good mood when I die, hopefully I'll get to heaven. That's no hope. That's no hope. Christ died for me. There's my hope. My sin's been covered. I don't need God in a good mood. I've got redemption in Christ. This is why we celebrate the cross. And 10th, you know what else I have? I have the greatest defendant in the world, the greatest defender in the world. He, Jesus is going to defend me before the Father on the day of judgment. There will be no accusation that will be able to stand against me. Not because... I did anything to ward off all that. It's because Jesus is saying, yeah, you see all those sins? I died for them. He's allowed here. You can stand before the Father, blameless and with great joy, Steve. I died for you. You see why we need the cross? And you see why if you don't catch this, you miss everything. So here's my thought for you as we close. 
That's just 10 things. I could have kept going. But if you were to take those 10 things and take everything that you're going to face today, tomorrow, through the rest of the week, you can bring all of your life back to the cross. If you feel like, I don't know why I'm here on this planet, you can go back to the cross and say, Jesus, you died and you rose and you've given me life and I have a purpose in you. Jesus, show me that purpose. If you feel guilty, like you've just done some horrible things this week and the guilt is weighing on your shoulders, you can bring it to the cross and say, you know what, you died for this. Remove the guilt, it's gone. If you feel weak and beaten up by the world, you can go and say, Jesus, I need that strength, that very resurrected power of life. I need it, God, please. You see, we can keep going back to the cross. But when you go back to the cross, everything else makes sense. And when you go back to the cross, all of the Bible makes sense. This is the stuff that makes truth really come alive, and it's the stuff that burns in your heart. So I would say to that woman at the coffee shop, Yes, see your grandchildren more, but your son needs to know Jesus. He needs to know life. He needs to know power. He needs something deeper than a family holiday because a family holiday won't carry him when the world starts to fall apart. He needs Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? This morning, if you come here, you never understood the cross. But if the words of the scriptures are speaking to you today, I would call upon you just to cry out to Jesus and say, I believe. I believe I want all those ten things and more. Here's where the power comes for living. If you come in here today and you believe this, but you just lost sight of it in the messiness of life, reaffirm that commitment today and cry out to Jesus. And say, only Jesus, I, I, I love you, man. This is it. This is everything. Make our hearts come alive. Father, I pray for all of us in this room, whether it's the first time we pray this prayer or the hundredth time, allow us to see Jesus. Allow us to see him raised from the dead. Allow us to be able to say he is risen indeed. God, may our life be centered in the cross today. The fullness of what Jesus has done. May we find the hope and the salvation and the peace and the strength and the power and the purpose from a resurrected Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.